The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Well, here we are with our second part of our series. Our series is called Encountering Jesus. And in this series, which we started last week, the aim of this series is really just to bring some fairly, what I think would be familiar stories to you. Some of them short, some of them rather longer. But some of these stories, just to look at them, and it's a case that some of you may be, well, I'm very familiar with this, or it might be that you've never heard this particular story before. That's absolutely fine. The object isn't for us to suddenly start having great wisdom about the stories of the Bible. The object of going through this is to see what happens when people encounter Jesus. Have you come here this morning because you want to encounter Jesus? I have. I want to encounter Jesus. I need an encounter with Jesus. I want him to speak into my life. If there's, you know, who's a famous person you'd like to meet? I'd like to meet and speak with Jesus because he carries words of life. And as we're looking at these encounters, so we're looking at encounters that other people have had, but what was happening in those encounters? Some of them are very simple, as I've said. Just a few words were spoken, but there's things that we learn about Jesus, and we need to understand what Jesus is like because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. So what we see in him in the encounters with others, we can take faith in that that is how he behaves towards me. And I don't know what situation you're going through. I don't know whether any of these particular stories that we're going to look at this morning will reflect upon your life. They reflect upon my life in different ways and in different situations. But I know there's things that we see that Jesus does and the way he behaves that it brings strength to me. Because when everything's kicking off and there's confusion, there's difficulties in my life, I need to come back and I need to remember, ah, but Jesus is like this. You know, we were singing, God, you're so good. You know what? There can be times when you're thinking, like, it doesn't seem like he's very good to me today. <laughs> I've just had a week that hasn't gone well. You know, maybe when there's a job application you put in and suddenly you hear, no, you haven't got that job. You think, ah, oh, where's the goodness of God in that? But God is good all the time because he knows the end from the beginning and he knows how to position you and he knows the change that is necessary that he wants to make in your life. That which you're resisting through various ways that you may not even be aware of, but he knows about it and he knows how to bring the change that he wants to bring so that he might bring you through to completion. God is good and he loves us. So let's have a look at some of these encounters this morning. We're actually going to start with the one that William mentioned, and I don't think he knew I was going to talk about this. So our first point, we're going to go to Luke 7, verses 11 to 17, which I'm going to read. And the story is about a widow at her son's funeral. A widow at her son's funeral. So let me read the passage to you. Verse 11, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart 
overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Don't cry. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen amongst us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. And I'm just going to use a few points to unpack this. First of all, distressed. Distressed. We find Jesus and his disciples. This is the usual situation. There he is with his disciples, and he's out with them. And they're now coming towards this village called Nain. And it seems like there was a city wall or a village wall or something, or there was a gateway anyway. They were coming towards the village. And he's got a crowd of people with him. So they're just talking, milling around, following Jesus, going this direction. As they're approaching the city gate, so out of the gate coming a funeral procession. And that's coming out of the town. Maybe they were coming out because they were going to bury the boy outside of the village uh, somewhere. I don't know. We don't know exactly what was happening, but we do know the situation. And we're told details of the situation. The lady was a widow. Don't forget, in those days, there's no social security. You've got no security unless you've got somebody in your household who can work. Usually, that's your husband. He goes out to work. You would be managing the home. That's how they structured things. But here... The husband's gone. So, okay, she had a son. We don't exactly know how old he was. A young son. So her son was her future. Her son was her security. Her son was her income. Or at least part of it. But now he's died. And so we've got this. So it's hardly surprising that the village is there. You know what it's like when somebody dies out of our expectation. The funerals are always well attended. When a young person dies, everybody's there. Why? Because this shouldn't have happened. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Life is tough. Gosh, life is tough anyway. This has now got tougher. That's the situation. The village are supporting her. She's going out here. And the tradition in those days is when people are dying or when people have died, there's wailing. There's, there's noise going on because people actually exercise their grief. They're, they're showing their support through the wailing. And so there's, a, there's noise. There's this is the scene that we're confronted with. And this is coming out. This procession is coming out of the village. And that's what Jesus encounters. In fact, Jesus sees the widow. She's weeping. Well, we're not surprised, are we? She's mourning. She's grieving. She's hurting. And it's, it's not just about what the future is looking like for her. It's what the present experience is. I've lost my son. Those of you who have lost loved ones whether it even be your older parents, but if you've lost a child, wow, you feel the pain of that. The woman was weeping. What I love about the story is what we see about Jesus. Jesus cares. Listen, if you hear nothing else this morning and you go away with nothing else, I want you to go away with this. Jesus cares. He cares. Your situation what you're going through, what you're facing, your burdens, your griefs, your endeavors, your failures, your fears, your hopes, your dreams. Jesus cares. He sees the woman's tears. And he doesn't say, well, let me help you. Hey, I'm Jesus. Listen, you need to know the laws of God. What about this? He doesn't say any of that. 
He is moved with compassion because he sees this woman. And he only says this, don't cry. Don't cry. When you see people who are crying, sometimes it can move you to tears. Because you feel their pain. Especially, maybe even if it's at a happy occasion. Somebody at a wedding, you can see somebody with tears in their eyes. And it can move you to tears. At a funeral, when you feel someone's pain, you can be moved to tears too. Jesus felt this isn't just a, oh, it's the polite thing to do. Jesus, in my view, showed how much he cares because he says to the woman, don't cry. I want to bring an end to this. Now, you can imagine the scene, and I can't remember what my next point is. Oh, it's delighted. Yes. <laughs> this, all this distress that's happening and all of this pain, and Jesus is saying to her, don't cry. And it's almost before... She's had a chance to answer, and I guess she probably would have said, well, this is what you do when your world has just fallen apart. This is what it's like when you reach this situation. It's hardly surprising that I'm crying. If you were in my shoes, you would be doing the same. She doesn't have a chance to say anything like that, because what we see is Jesus going up to the coffin and laying his hands on the coffin. And it's a bit like, whoa. You, you can imagine that a number of the people of the village are saying, what on earth is he doing? This is an injustice. You shouldn't do this. Let us grieve in peace. Let us, don't ruin the occasion. Don't ruin the occasion. Yesterday, when we were watching the coronation, the big thing was about security, wasn't it? Because what is going to happen if some protesters, and I'm not saying they don't have the right to protest, but don't do it in the midst of this. Don't jump out in the mall when the band are marching. Don't cause a confusion. Don't make a scene because we're trying to follow this. And that's exactly what it was like there. Hey, don't create a scene, Jesus, because we've got a funeral that we're about. But Jesus touches the coffin and speaks to the young boy. Because he cares. He cares about the woman's pain. He cares about the fact that life seems to have been taken to earth. And he speaks to the boy and tells him to wake up and get up. And the next thing we know is that the boy is talking. This isn't just like, you know, like maybe we'll say a quick prayer. Hopefully something will happen. Jesus, when Jesus comes, everything changes. When he comes, everything changes. Some of the time we're hoping that he might arrive. Some of the time we're praying that he might arrive. But when he comes, everything changes. And he spoke to the boy. And the boy comes to life. And he starts speaking. Now I would imagine there were probably more tears and more wailing at that moment. But it wasn't from the point of grief. It's the point of complete and utter shock, delight, exultation, awe, wonder, because everything's changed. The whole thing has turned around. And this is what Jesus does. He turns death into life. That's what he can do for you. That's what we want to try to get hold of in these messages. Look at what Jesus is like. He cares. And he can turn circumstances completely around. He can turn our death situation into life. Now I know what happens. Because this is what goes on in my mind. Well Jesus I can see you did it there. But you don't seem to have done it for me yet. 
And as I was thinking about that, I've just taken back to other Bible stories that I read. There's the story of the man born blind. This is in, in John's Gospel. Here is a man who was born blind. And the disciples say to Jesus, hey, what about this guy? What sins has he created so that he's like that? Is that why he's suffering? Because he's a sinner? Because he's done wrong? Is that the reason that he's been born blind? But Jesus says, no. He was born blind so that the glory of God might be seen in his life. And we learn that afterwards that Jesus touches him and he is healed. And so having been born blind, he now can see. But we have to experience the fact that there were years of him being blind. How do we explain that? I can't explain it, but I know that God cares and God acts. And when he comes, everything changes. Last week, we referred to the woman who had been bent double for 18 years, it said. 18 years she had lived like that. 18 years she'd gone through hardship. 18 long years she'd experienced that pain and that suffering. But when Jesus comes. You see, it's not always instant in life. Why couldn't it have been done 16 years earlier? Why? Well, because Jesus wasn't in that ministry time at that point. Whatever. What I want to point out to you is it's not always according to our ways, but it is according to his ways. And the more that we develop our faith and our trust and our confidence in who he is, then we will be like the woman who went to touch his garment, saying, if I but just touch his garment, I will be healed. She had confidence. I love that woman because of her faith. I want faith like that. I want faith that is secure in the knowledge of this is what he is like. He does not change. When I come to him, he will meet me and he will help me. So in this story, we see so many different things. What can we see? We see a widow at the funeral of her son. We see the town supporting her. That she wasn't expecting Jesus. He literally just turned up. But when he turned up, Everything changed. And boy, she was glad that he did turn up because her world was turned around. What can we learn? We can learn that Jesus is moved by compassion. Jesus really does care. We can learn the fact that Jesus can do what we cannot do. We can't raise the dead unless Jesus is working through us. There's nothing that we can do. Death is that thing that seems so final to us. It, it's, it, that's the end of things. But Jesus, with a touch and a command, he can bring life where there was death. God cares. The enemy ensnares. But God cares and he brings release. And we need to remember that. So a widow at her son's funeral. Let's, let's move on now to a story that is probably familiar with a number of people. The woman at the well. We read this in John chapter 4. Probably a little bit of a longer reading. But let me read the story to you so that we are all familiar with it as we go through it. He had to go through Samaria on the way. This is talking about Jesus. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. 
Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons, than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman said. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everybody, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And just moving on to verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And they came out to see him. They begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the saviour of the world. Here we have Jesus encountering a, encountering a stranger. And it's interesting because Jesus came to where she was, or I suppose he was at the well and she, he, she came to where he was in one sense. But it's not just that he met her at the well. He met this woman 
in the framework of what was going on in her life. She'd come to get water, and he encountered her talking about getting water and about the fact that water can bring life to her. So it wasn't just the same physical location. It was the fact that he'd come and he was speaking to her, as it were, on her terms, speaking into her life. And he's honest with her, and he's honest with himself as well. So they talk through, don't they? They talk through that there's this whole thing about them being Samaritans and Jews, and there's a history. There's always a history. So you watch the TV yesterday, and as certain members of the royal family walk in, as we all know, there's a history there. There's a history of upset. There's a history of what's going to happen next. Is Harry going to behave himself? Or... There's a history. And in this situation, there's a history. There's a history of the fact that when the, the northern tribes were taken into captivity, which they were, when they were taken into captivity, then they eventually were replaced. They were taken into captivity and moved out of the area, and the Assyrians moved other people in. So they moved in people who served different gods, who had different ways, and basically they corrupted the Jewish culture. And the, the Jews from the southern tribes resented that. And when it came to rebuilding the temple, the northern tribes said, hey, we want to help out. We want to rebuild the temple. Hey, what are you? You don't even follow the same god. You worship other gods. You've intermarried with... All of that sort of stuff was going on. And basically, from then on, there was this incredible tension that arose between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus has come, and he's speaking to this woman. He's encountering her as a stranger. She wasn't expecting him. She's come to the well at midday. Why has she come at midday? Midday is hot. And the last thing you want to do is to carry water jugs around. Now, I'm sure you've seen pictures, usually in terms of charitable aid giving and things like that, where you see people carrying not usually water jars, they're usually carrying jerry, plastic jerry cans that they're moving around, and it's heavy. If you've ever tried lifting one of those, they are very heavy. You don't want to do that heavy lifting at midday. So why is she there? Well, obviously, we've heard a lot more about her story gives us the impression that this woman is an outcast from her town. And she's had a... It's not the normal life that she's had. Let's just put it like that. And when I say it like that, it says, well, what is the normal life? Well, there is, even though we're all supposed to be free and able to do whatever we want, there's something within us. We know what normality is or what we would hope for normality. And it might be the steadfastness of, I find a partner, I marry that partner, we have children together, we enjoy life together, and that is our existence, and, and we do the best that we can. There's a sense in which we hope for normality. This woman didn't get normality. And I don't know what her life was like. I do know that according to Jewish law, then a husband could divorce his wife. He could give her a certificate of divorce. Hey, I've had enough of you. There you go. Now that represents the fact that maybe it was all the husbands who didn't like this woman, who caused her difficulty. Maybe it was because she couldn't do without a man. And as soon as one husband had said, like, I, I need to have another man. And so she found herself another husband. We don't know exactly what the situation was, but we do know with people like that, other people have an opinion about it. Oh, you know them. You know what's happened to them. Because they've seen a little bit of your history, and whether they sympathize or don't sympathize, they do like to make an assessment. Because unfortunately, we do judge. And I think this woman was judged by her neighborhood. So therefore, for her... She doesn't want to go to the well when all the other women are going to the well. She wants 
and prefers to have her privacy because that enables her just to carry on living without maybe any words of discouragement or criticism from others. Jesus came to meet this woman. He didn't judge her. He came to meet her where she was. He came right where she was. He, caught, he talks to her very honestly. Because he says to her eventually, and I won't go through all the conversation, but we get to this point where he says to her, uh, get your husband, oh, I'm not married. No, you're right, you're not married. Actually, you've been married five times, haven't you? And in actual fact, you're still living with a guy, but you haven't married the guy that you're now living with. That's the truth of your situation. I would like to know what her response was, because in this, she just says, oh, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And that's sort of a bit like, I think that's a bit, whoa. But what I love is the honesty of Jesus, and it's not only that he's being honest with her in terms of what's going on in law life, Jesus is honest about himself, because it's only a short while later in the conversation that he says, and by the way, I've told you the truth about you. Let me tell you the truth about me. I'm the Messiah. That's who I am. You might be this, but this is who I am. And he is coming as that person, the sent one of God to this woman who lots of people are judging. She's probably even judging herself or upset about herself. But he hasn't come to judge. He's come to rescue. He's come to save. He's come to redeem. He's come to reveal. And that is exactly what Jesus wants to do with us. There's lots we can read about in this story, lots that we could discover. But you know what? What can we see here? We can see that Jesus' top priority is that he's come to rescue lost souls. Lost souls. We often put in lost souls of, do you know Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? No, you're a lost soul. Do you go to church? No, you're a lost soul. There's lots that we pack into that. Let me tell you this. A lost soul is somebody who is not walking with Jesus. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Someone who's lost in the world. Someone who, it's not just, you can come to church and still be lost, okay? Coming to church doesn't make you right with God. It's not just to get a tick on your card because you came in. Actually walking in the ways of God and following the ways of God is what makes you right with God. And when you're not in that position, you're lost. And Jesus is looking for lost people to bring them to himself. He is looking for lost people. That's what we see in this story. Luke 19 verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That is what he is. And it's interesting as well to see that Jesus is humble enough to come to you. He's humble enough to come to you. He doesn't expect you to come to him. He's on the lookout for you to come to you. And I love that about Jesus' character. What can we learn? Well, we can learn many things from this passage. Perhaps firstly, we want to say this. The one thing that we can learn is that Jesus already knows everything about us. He told this woman everything about her life. Well, not everything. But what he said was like, okay, I know who you are. And she knew that he was a stranger. And so like, whoa, where did that come from? Where did all that knowledge come from? 
Jesus knows everything about you and me. Every secret thought. And those things that we want to keep secret, even maybe from our partner, because we're embarrassed about that part of our life. Those secret things, he already knows about them. But look what he did with the woman. He tells her, but he doesn't judge her. He's not criticizing her about the husbands. He's just saying, this is your situation. He knows everything about us. There's no point for us, for instance, to thinking like, well, I'm going to keep that buried so that as long as it's under the carpet, then Jesus isn't going to know. Or he's not going to mention that. It says that everything that has been done will be brought into the light. I regret reading that statement. Because for me, for all of us, there's stuff that I don't want everybody to know that. But he knows everything. We can't hide things under the carpet. Jesus doesn't judge because he didn't come to judge, he came to save. That's the truth. There's another one who's going to judge. God the Father is going to judge. But Jesus came to save because he is interested in you and setting you free. Often, I think our problem with Jesus is this, is that we don't know him well enough. And that came up in the conversation that he had with the woman. Early on, the woman was surprised when he said to her, give me a drink. You know, hey, hang on a second, why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, you shouldn't be talking to me, what's going on here? And then Jesus actually says to her, if you knew the gift that God has for you, and who it is who is speaking to you, you would have asked me to give you living water. If you knew who it was who was speaking to you. That's what I feel for myself, that's my problem. I really don't know who he is. Because if she'd have known, my goodness, this is the Messiah that's come, everything can change. But she had no idea who he was. He's just some Jews come to annoy her, asking for a drink. What's he asking for? Living water? You haven't even got anything to get in the well with. You, you, what are you talking about? That's what's going through her mind. But Jesus is saying, if only you knew who I was. And I think we can take that on board ourselves. Listen, if only we knew who he was. We've just been reading what he can do. He saw the widow and he saw her desperate situation. His heart goes straight out to her. How can I help you? She, he raises her son from the dead. In this case, he's looking for this woman. Broken life, all sorts of stuff going on. People giving a hardship. We just don't know what it was that was in her life. But we know this. Encountering Jesus changed everything. This woman who'd known separation from her town is now going back to those people that she probably didn't want to speak to before. And she said, hey, everybody, listen, everybody, you know me, everybody here. Can I get your attention? Come meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Is this the one that we're looking for? Is this the one that we're expecting? Come out and meet him. And through the fervency of the transformation that had taken place in her life through the encounter with Jesus, she cannot but talk about him and get other people to come to him. Wow, that speaks to me. You see, do I really know him? Because if I knew him in the way that now this woman seemed to know him, 
And hang on, she was a stranger a few minutes before. Now she seems to have encountered something about Jesus that now causes her mouth no longer to be silent, but to be open and encouraging every single person. I've found the best thing that could have ever happened to me, and I want you to meet him too. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Wow. What can we learn? We can learn all of those things. We can learn that there comes a point when we really understand who Jesus is, that we are not going to want to stop but talk about him. That's what we can learn. Listen, we've got time just for one more, a very short one. The rich man. We're going to go to Mark 10, verse 17 to 22. The rich young ruler is what it's referred to in some passages in Mark's gospel. It's just referred to as the rich man. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. Interesting, this guy is looking for Jesus. He's looking for Jesus. Because as soon as he finds him or sees him there, he's running towards him and he's saying, hey, hey, teacher, teacher. So he knows he's teacher. He knows something about Jesus. He knows what well, he says. He's good. He says, good teacher. How can I inherit eternal life? Now, you'd think at that point, Jesus would say like, no, this is the process you need to go through. But Jesus turns around. The first thing he says is, why do you call me good? <laughs> what did Jesus say that for? I find it interesting. Why did he say that? Was Jesus thinking like, hey, let me just check out. Do you know who I am? Do you really know who I am? Because there's only one who is good, and that is God. So if you're calling me good along that line, then are you saying that I'm God? Is that what this is about? Is that why you've come to me? Because you want to find out eternal life? Or is it just that you're saying like, oh, I've heard that you're a good teacher, or I'm just being polite. Hey, you you're a good man, and so you're a good teacher. In other words, I'll give you some words that sort of pacify what I'm about to ask you because I want your help. I need your help. I need your input. I don't know, but Jesus cut across him in one sense quite firmly, but then he says, hey, listen, okay. You call me good, let's deal with that. Now, let me answer your question. So you know the laws and the commands. This is how you need to behave. And what were some of those? They're very, you must not murder. No, okay, we mustn't do that. You must not commit adultery. No, no, you must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must honor your mom and dad. <coughs> hey, kept them. Not just last week. I have kept these since I was a boy. I have given my life to seeking to be faithful, and I have kept what you have just told me about. I have done that, and I can stand up here and say, yes. I've done that. Am I now on my way to inherit eternal life? I'm a good boy. I've done it right. 
But Jesus, it says, looked at him and loved him. Jesus told him the absolute truth. Okay, you need to look at these commandments. Ah, but there's one thing that's lacking. And so he told him. You need to, well, I'll tell you what to do. Sell all your possessions. As you do that, you're going to get treasure in heaven. So it's not a loss. It's just where it's lying. Your treasure is no longer going to be here. It's going to be in heaven. So that's the first thing. Let's transfer the wealth from this earth to the right place, to heaven. Let's do that. And then come follow me. Come on. Come and be one of my disciples. Come and join in. You can follow in with me. Wow. What an offer. But you see, Jesus spoke to him what the guy didn't want to do. And the challenge I find with this story is we want to go and find encounters with Jesus and Jesus is going to be prepared to tell us the truth. He's going to be prepared to tell us what's really necessary. But here's the crunch. Do we want to hear what Jesus says? Do we want to obey what Jesus says? Ooh, I don't like the idea of that. No thanks. I think I'll put that to one side. I'll put that to one side. I think I'll forget about that. That's too much for me. Of course, the story in this case is too much for this young man. It says his face dropped. I came excited, thinking I was being polite, calling you good, looking at all that you can do for me. I want to inherit eternal life. I want this. This is what I'm pursuing. I've given my life to this. Oh, but I can't do that. There is a cost to following Jesus. It's not just a ticket to heaven. There's a cost to following Jesus. And that's what we see in this story. There is a price. But look, it's not a price where everything's removed. There's treasure in heaven for this guy. Look what he was offered. Come follow me. Come and be one of my disciples. Come right alongside me and experience everything you can get from being with me. Who wouldn't want to take an offer like that to receive everything of being with Jesus? And yet the price was too much for this man. So he said, no, I can't do that. Listen, these encounters with Jesus, we see all sorts of different things here. But what is it that God is speaking to you about? What is he underlining in your life? Did you need to know this morning that he cares? He really cares about your situation. He has compassion for you. Do you feel lost? Not just necessarily lost as in I've got, I don't know which way life's going, but having followed Jesus, I feel lost. Right now I feel lost. I'm not quite sure where I'm going. You seem so distant. He came to seek and to save that which is lost and to bring us back into full relationship with him. He didn't come to judge you. People judge us all the time. He didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. And he came to redeem you out of an existence into a full life with himself. That is what he's come. If only we knew the gift that he has for us and who it is that has come to speak to us, we would have asked him for living water, which he is ready to give. I don't know about you, but I want living water. I need living water. I need encounters. I need the encounter with God, even if he tells me, this is what you need to deal with in your life because I need the grace from him to enable me to let go of the things of this world that I might serve him and follow him and see his kingdom come. 
Let's just stand up because we're going to worship. But I just want to pray for us before we do. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come amongst us. We welcome you in this place. We welcome you in our lives. God, you know everything about us. As your light shines upon us, you see the dark recesses. You see the things that we've captured. You see the things that we're ashamed of. You see the sins that so easily beset us. You know all of that, and you haven't come to judge, but you have come to help. And Jesus, we're asking, please, would you come into our lives? Help us to surrender. Help us not to think, oh, that's too expensive. But help us to be willing to lay our lives down and to accept whatever you want to bring, the change, the transformation, the adjustment into our hearts and into our lives, that you may have your way, that your living waters indeed would flow from us and would produce a harvest of righteousness around us. Father, we pray for that. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, I stand against every despondency that comes upon the hearts and minds of your people in the name of Jesus. We reject despondency. We reject every lie of the enemy that says it's not possible because we declare now in the name of Jesus what is impossible for us is possible for him, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is able to redeem. He is able to save. He is able to transform. What he has done in the past, he can do today. And Father, whether this is the moment or whether you have moments that are yet to come, we pray, Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. And let, Father, our lives be lived for your purposes. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.